We made this. Hello everybody, I'm Carl Sweeney. And I'm Tony Black. And welcome back to The Discourse live in London. So we are back at the Discourse, second episode this week. Uh, we are, we're in a different location. We're still in London, though. Um, we are here. Tony, tell, tell people where we are. Um, so, yeah, you might hear a fair bit of background noise here, possibly. Um, we've tried to sit in the most remote part of Paddington Station <laughs> um, as possible, but you're still going to hear the clattering of, of things and whatnot. And um, I, I had a momentary panic, didn't I, when I thought yeah. uh, I found out there's a tube strike <laughs> and I've got to get to Bakerloo. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed I make it home, guys. But until then, we're going we're gonna to see how we get on in it up here. We are. I'm also currently watching two pigeons devouring some leftover... Sandwiches, it looks like, uh, over Tony's shoulder. Standard. Yeah. Uh, as ever, find us at the Discourse on social media. We're on Twitter at the Discourse, at Pod the Discourse, sorry. Yeah. We're contactable via email, uh, contact the Discourse at gmail.com. Is that right? And yeah, maybe we're on Mastodon, maybe we're not. <laughs> maybe Twitter's imploded, maybe it hasn't. Time will tell. Yeah, quite, quite right now, we're, uh, we're recording this as. Uh, Elon Musk seems to be determined to sort of destroy Twitter, doesn't he? You know, by you know, most of the staff leaving and stuff. So God knows where we're going to end up. Yeah. We'll be somewhere. Anyway, so the reason we're here is, as we alluded to, I think, on the previous episode, we have just been to see uh, the James Bond film Spectre at the Royal Albert Hall with a live orchestra. So we thought we'd decamp here and talk a bit about it. So, uh, Tony, how was it for you? <laughs> it was good. Um, yeah, we've been looking forward to this for a while, obviously, haven't we? You know, we mentioned it a few times on this podcast, and uh, it was it was great. You know, you, you, they're always great. We talked about the Star Wars one a few weeks ago, didn't we? And they're they're a lot of fun. You know, it was it was really cool to see the film on a big screen in that venue. I want to know what you think because this is obviously your first time at the Royal Albert Hall doing this. So, you know, before I talk more, what did you think? Well, I had a great time. Firstly, I thought it was a fantastic afternoon. Mm. I. I think it is an appreciably different experience, isn't it, to watching the film even on a big screen yeah, yeah. in any other setting, really. Um, what I find is that what I found is that at the start you're very conscious of the orchestra, and you're mm. sort of switching between watching the musicians and watching the screen. Yeah. Um, and you just have a heightened sense of awareness of when the musicians are coming in, when they're not coming in, when there's a bit of uh, silence in the orchestra. And then I don't know about how you felt, but I feel like after a while you kind of get accustomed to it. And I found myself watching the film more continuously, getting into the film a bit mm, more, mm. and almost, almost forgetting about the musicians until something really swells up, like they played a Bond theme or yeah. something really notable like that. But uh, it's a fantastic experience, and it's subtly different, isn't it? Because they obviously don't have the exact range of instrumentation all the time. Like, I think we talked about that in relation to the Mexico City stuff, didn't mm, we? But mm. maybe they did something slightly different there so it it's kind of like a subtly different way to watch the film isn't it yeah and it's kind of fascinating in that regard well I, I said to you as well obviously having gone to see Star Wars where it is more traditional orchestra you know violin you know all those sections <laughs> you get for those kind of films a more a replicated experience mm. I guess whereas with this it really stood out as being yeah, as you say different it was like it wasn't a different movie at all, but it was like the experience is very different from watching it just as it was scored for the film. And that made it quite special, actually, in a way that you won't get very many other places. You know, they, they, there are certain instruments 
that just come out a little bit more, certain you know, little flourishes that almost get drowned out by some of maybe the electronica in, in, in that score, some of what Thomas Newman does. If anything, it sounded a little bit more alive. And I suppose that, in a way, that's obvious because it's an orchestra, but at the same time, it, it felt, it was unusual. It was unusual listening to it live, this kind of score. Yeah, and it isn't just the facsimile of watching the film, like we say, on Blu-ray or something, or at home on streaming. It isn't just like seeing that with this dimension of the orchestra. It is different in certain ways. And yeah. it can be very spine-tingling, I think. Like, at the very end, when the Bond theme comes in, for the final scene of the film and then into the what would be the credits, um, that was kind of magical, I thought. That was that was maybe the highlight of the whole thing, because they did a really good rendition of the Bond theme, didn't they? Yeah, and they did. Carried on for a couple of minutes, and, you know, that's the kind of thing you... You would be hearing that music at home, but maybe you turn the disc off or something. <laughs> I don't know. It was brilliant live, yeah. anyway. And a good film as well, we should say. We're, we're big boosters of Spectre. So, uh, we are. I think that made it extra special, didn't it? Yeah. We, we, we've talked, haven't we, about... We did, a, we did an episode on motion pictures where we went into Spectre and we defended it like a few years later. We, we, we might well re-air that on the discourse at some point because we, we really like it. And like <laughs> Some people really don't. Some people really don't. And, you know, when, when you watch it, especially in this kind of way, it's hard to... It's hard to get on board with that even more because it's, it looks fantastic. You know, it, it's... We, we know there are problems with it. And, and on the way back, we were talking about some of the problems with it, weren't we? You know, on the way, on the way walk back to the station. But it, it's... I'd encourage anyone to go and see an, a, a, a concert, a live in concert thing, especially at the Royal Albert Hall because the presentation is like absolutely pitch perfect. You know, they, they are... For one thing, they're on the, on the money with timing. Like, they are absolutely to the minute. <laughs> It's such a well-oiled machine. But to hear like a movie like a Bond movie, or previously like a Star Wars movie, and they do lots of other things, but it's just it's just such a fab experience. You know, seeing any film with an orchestra is wonderful, especially there. So yeah. I am really glad you enjoyed it. I, I knew you would, uh, but yeah. I'm really pleased. No, no, of course. And I think, as you said to me earlier, it's good that they do a couple of performances per day, isn't it? Because... I think the Saturday night one of Spectre they're doing, you said Sam Mendes was going to introduce. Which yeah. that, that must be great for the people who are seeing that, but it's been a lot easier for us, particularly you today, to come and see the afternoon show in and get back home for a reasonable time. And yeah. you know, So it's great that they do that. Um, Especially as I had a bit of a, a, a snafu with my trains ooh. in that I, you know, my line <laughs> actually was cancelled, so I had to make a last-minute adjustment, and I, <laughs> I was a little bit late as a result. So exactly, yeah. yeah. It, the fact they do two makes it so much more accessible for those non-Londoners yes. like us two. Can you remember why we did that Spectre anniversary? Was it an anniversary? Or did, were we just getting infuriated with all the people who say it's one of the worst Bond films <laughs> and we, we felt like it had to be uh, I think that, addressed? That was definitely part of it, but it was five years, I think. Oh, was it five years? Because we did it wow. in 2020, at the end of 2020, I Got think. Got it, yeah. So it was the five-year anniversary. Yeah, no, I think we should put that episode out because I think I stand by pretty much every word of what yeah. we said there. I don't think my, my opinion has changed no. significantly at all since no. then. Um, and some of No Time to Die has retroactively made Spectre, elements of Spectre better, like Madeline, the character of Madeline. So, you know, it, that's helped it a little bit. I think so too. Yeah. yeah, there are elements that don't quite coalesce in Spectre necessarily, but at least you know there's mm. some better stuff to come down the line. So, yeah, I think, think putting that episode out would be a good idea on our part. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, while we're still on the subject of Bond, one thing that's caught our eye this week is that, of course, we always look for an excuse to talk James Bond in some, <laughs> some fashion. Well, this is, this is about James Bond, and it isn't. It's about Daniel Craig, actually. So he's done a commercial for Belvedere Vodka. Yeah. Uh, directed by Taika Waititi and it's fascinating isn't it because I think Craig 
he always was quite canny, I think, when he was playing Bond to do a few different things, wasn't he? Like, mm. he did the girl with the dragon tattoo. He did things like Logan Lucky for Soderbergh, <laughs> where he's playing like a Southern Hillbilly. He was really good in that. He's good well, Hasn't he? he got like bleach blonde hair? Yeah, or something? yeah, yeah. You know, and think... a hick actually like that, hasn't he? Don't talk like that, no way. <laughs> um, and then, of course, Knives Out, where, again, it's a southern mm. accent, it's a very different character. Yeah. Um, so I think he's always been keen to show that he's got several strings to his bow, as it were. Yeah. And now this commercial, even though it's only a two-minute commercial, but, again, it's him doing something that's quite far away from his James Bond image, isn't it, Tony? Yeah. Like, you've literally just seen this. I have. <laughs> what, what, how would you describe this to people who haven't? It's, it's Daniel Craig having fun, intentionally having fun, dancing, dressing up in very... Uh, well, I don't know what the, the, how you describe his clothing. Not very, not James Bond not at all. At all, no. Very, very chilled out and relaxed and cool, uh, in a different way to Bond. But yet, at the same time, he has that level of swagger and presence, <laughs> and you know, mock seriousness that he does. You know, that pout all the way through, and he's dancing to like you know, our, our urban sort of music, and it's it's great. I mean, it, he it's very fun. He immediately, you know, what I, who I thought of. And I thought would have been in that commercial in a different time. Hugh Jackman. Because it seems to me like Daniel Craig in th- potentially could have a second career brewing here as some sort of theatre musical, musical uh, performer. Because he has a certain grace about his performance, a certain ballet in that advert. And I thought to myself, he should totally do something like that mm. next and, and really have fun with it and reinvent himself almost I know, I'm not saying as a singer because I think Hugh Jackman can actually sing and I doubt Daniel Craig can sing <laughs> but I think he's in theory he has got the world at his feet now because he's, he's he's a household name he's he's liked by a lot of people <clears throat> and he left Bond on pretty much high so I think he could which is fairly unusual it we, is we should say it yeah. is and I think he could turn his hand to anything and I think that was a good example of what he could do I think so too. I think it's fascinating to see him embody a very different kind of masculinity to what you would mm. see in Bond as yeah. well. Yeah. I think he's got a lot of range. I think it's good for him as well that we've mentioned Knives Out is soon to be seen in Glass Onion and of course. Yeah. yeah. It feels to me like, you know, that could be a series that goes on for quite a while. So like almost a second signature character for him. Definitely. Um, and I'm sure he's going to turn his hand to lots of other things too. Hasn't he played like Hamlet on stage and stuff like that? Does he? As, or some big roles in theatre, I think. You know. I could see him doing that, yeah. Um, People have flocked to, I'd go and watch him. Sure, yeah, I would. And Absolutely. I think of all the Bond actors, kind of the post-Bond career is always interesting, isn't it? So, mm. you know, someone should write a book about it one day, but Sean Connery had a very interesting uh, <laughs> <laughs> post. It's a great idea. <laughs> Nobody's done that. But his career went in some very interesting directions. Brosnan, to a certain extent. Not, well, so, not so much Lazenby. I don't know. No, um, no, yeah, yeah. Dalton, I think, has shown himself to be a very credible actor. Seen him in The Crown recently, Indeed. of course, as Peter Townsend. There was a funny moment, actually, just I forgot. I didn't mention it in the other episode, but we briefly mentioned Dalton. But there was a point where he's lined up in front of like Princess Margaret, and like he's lined up by lots of older men, and like they're all like little old men with no hair, and they're little bald, and then Brosnan, and then Dalton's there, and my wife, my wife went, little old man, little old man, little old man, James Bond, because well, <laughs> he towers above them, like, and they still have that presence, don't they? Well, even I, after Bond, I think that's that was why it was good casting in that episode of The Crown. Actually, was mm. that he had a bit of flash to him, or a bit of yeah, yeah, swagger yeah. to him, charisma, whatever you, how you want to put yeah, it, yeah. but. Um, that really worked in that context of here is Princess Margaret's the one who got away yeah, almost yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. but no I think Craig I'm sure his career will be very different to all of theirs but I think 
he is as well set up as any any of them, even Connery, for having a, a really strong post-Bond career, isn't he? I think he could end up with the best one, actually, because I think he is going to be the first one, I think, to be have a critical a critical success, but also not hate the fact that he was known for Bond because I think he left with, in such good terms with them mm. and with such a great relationship with Barbara Broccoli particularly I think and I think I think he'll have a lot of fondness for that I don't think he'll always want to talk about it or be involved in it but I think he'll have a real fondness for it in a way that certainly Connery didn't, Connery didn't and Connery was the only one who had the, the biggest successful career of any of them albeit all, not all of his movies being brilliant as I've talked about before in the podcast but obviously he had that massive success post Bond Craig probably won't quite have that in the same way as Connery, but I think he'll have more critically successful projects like like Knives Out, Glass Onion, etc. Um, yeah. And and I, I so I think he's he's got a really exciting couple of decades ahead of him. Still. I think so. It won't be the same as Connery because it, it won't be that big films are being built around him in the same way mm, because mm. big star vehicles aren't really produced as no. consistently as when Connery was doing that. But He'll end up in the Marvel Universe like everybody. <laughs> Won't he? Maybe. Won't he? Maybe. he will know. at some point. But I can see him, you know, Sean Connery won an Oscar for The Untouchables, of course, best point actor. Craig has got a good chance of being oh, yeah. garlanded for some role or other at Absolutely. some point. Hasn't he? Yeah. Um, he's that good. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, go uh, and watch that advert. It's a lot of fun, guys, if you haven't seen it. It is, yeah. I think it was good fun. It's a couple of minutes yeah, yeah. long. It's uh, Taika Waititi appears in it as well. And, yeah. you know, just very fun, I think, to see... You know, Craig, like I say, embodying a very different form of masculinity to, yeah. the, to what you're associating with. And so, speaking yeah. of Waititi, better directed than Love, than Thor, Love and Thunder. <laughs> For my money. Well, we will return to the issue of the Marvel Cinematic Universe today, I think. Yeah. So you wanted to talk about Neighbours, Tony, didn't you? Um, now, Neighbours. The TV show, not my Neighbours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, That'd we, be very boring. Do we need to explain Neighbours to... I'm sure British <laughs> listeners will know what, what Neighbours is. I'm sure any Australian listeners will. Yeah. But I'm not sure how well-known it is in other countries, to be fair. What is Neighbours? What's going on? Neighbours was a, a soap, an Australian soap, that started in the mid-1980s, I think, mid-1980s, and uh, was, I think, more of a success in Britain than in Australia, generally, I think. Long-run-in... Massively, you know, for anyone who grew up in the 90s and the noughties, Neighbours was just a staple at like tea time. You know, it was it was as much part of British culture, I think, as anything British, frankly, Neighbours. And then certain other soaps, you know, from Australia, like Home and Away and things like that, were there, but they were <laughs> never as big as Neighbours. And Neighbours had these really signature characters. Um, so in big, it. big names came from it as well. Yeah. Kylie Minogue and Margot Robbie. Yeah. Wasn't Russell Crowe was he neighbours at home? I think away? so. Russell Crowe, no, Guy Pearce, yeah, Alan Dale, who's Jason not Donovan. as big a name, but he's in everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So neighbours has a real cultural traction, and it's just a soap in a set in a street in Australia. But I think what appealed to everyone was the fact it was always sunny. Like everyone would, you got the beach just down the road, and it was a marked contrast to you know the grim, depressing Eastenders, or. The, the, uh, back in the day, the genuinely funny and witty Coronation, Coronation Street, Street yeah. um, before it just turned into basically everyone sleeping with everyone else in the street. But um, but the, the, the northern, you know, ur- urban vibe of that. Neighbours was like an escapist, 
soap where, where not too many terrible things happen most of the time um, for people. And a bit like, I suppose a bit more like the American soaps that never took off in the UK. Like the days, um, days of our lives yeah. type thing. Yeah. And they always seemed a bit batshit crazy, but Neighbours <laughs> wasn't really. Had the odd moment where... Didn't have an episode um, that was like a dream sequence from the perspective of a dog at some point? <laughs> Wasn't it from, was it Bouncer? Was that his name? What, in Neighbours? I believe so. Oh, I think so. And the, I think it did have a few flights into fantasy. Well, but. The, there was an episode. One of the key, two of the key characters were Harold and Madge Bishop, who were these middle-aged couple. And Madge died, and then she came back as a ghost. I remember. Mm. I know that happened at some <laughs> point. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the odd, the odd moment. moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, it was cancelled recently by um, I think Fremantle, with a company who produced it in Australia, due to budgets and you know I, I don't know whether it was lack of viewing figures and and to be fair over the years it had probably tailed off a bit in the age of streaming and multiple channels I, th- I don't think it necessarily had the audience it did but it still had a big like cultural presence I think and people when it was being cancelled a few months ago loads of people weren't they were like what no not neighbours don't get rid of neighbours um, did you feel that way I felt that way, even though I hadn't watched a show in a long time. It used yeah. to be a staple for me. You get get home from school, or yeah. sometimes you'd be at home in the middle of the day, and I think they used to show it twice a day, didn't they? Like in the afternoon and then yeah. in the evening. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when that was announced that it was ending, I did genuinely feel sad. Yeah. And I, you know, I went and liked some of the tweets from the cast of the show and stuff like that. <laughs> and then what I found is that because I'd done that, the Twitter algorithm was showing me loads of stuff about neighbours for, like, for the next couple of weeks even though I didn't really care that much and to be honest I didn't tune in to see the final episode I don't know about you no I didn't know but they got people like Kylie Minogue back didn't they to Jason do Donovan as well and, I think I think so um, so it's quite good it sounded quite good that they were able to make it a bit of a special send off it yeah, seems yeah. like so now I'm wondering how Kylie's feel, feeling that she uh, spent her time doing that and it was all for naught, really, because <laughs> Neighbours is back. I don't know. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, Like I say, it's a show I haven't watched for a long time. I didn't see the final episode. I think I'm unlikely to, to watch any more of it, to be honest. Yeah. But I'll always have a bit of a fondness for it yeah, because yeah. of that cultural space it used to yeah. occupy for us. Yeah. So. Um, but now it's been picked up by Amazon. Yeah. It's the big news this week, yeah. hence why we're mentioning this. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, it's coming back. We don't know, I think, in terms of how it's going to be my sense is it won't be a you know a weekly you know, three times a week soap but I think it will probably be like a ten part series alright okay. I, I, I would guess I, would see, okay. I don't think I don't think anything's been confirmed but mm. I can't see Amazon doing it like you would have it broadcast on television I just don't know if that will happen it wouldn't fit would it in the no. same way I don't think you're right um, although apparently all like you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes that they've made are going on Amazon for people to watch apparently um, that's a lot of bandwidth you know, because that's—they've got a lot of it must episodes. Be thousands. Yeah, yeah it must probably. Be thousands, yeah. Probably is thousands. So it's a bit like—it's almost like, you know, putting all of Coronation Street or all of EastEnders on BritBox in the UK, and they have choice episodes certainly of Curry, because I've watched a few of them, and that's why I say actually, when you watch some of the stuff from the 70s, it's really good. Mm. I remember watching some of those. Like, this is really witty and interesting, and so it's so such a contrast to today. You're talking about like the era of like Ina Sharples, yeah, and all those kind of characters, yeah, Hilda Ogden and all Hilda these Ogden, people, yeah, yeah. you know, with with really great comic actors playing these parts. Mm. And so, but Neighbours, I think, are bringing back some of the key people who were in the show, like. Characters like Paul Robinson, who's the big like, evil character in it, and Carl Kennedy, and Toadie, yeah. who's Toadie. the big... Did you see because how he... he swore on yeah. uh, BBC Breakfast the other day. <laughs> did he, did he call it Chateau Shithole Yeah, or he called his, his house ranch or whatever he's Shadow Shithole, you know. There. <laughs> so I love it, I love it. Oh, but yeah, so I, I, it's going to be interesting. This is, this is, what's interesting about this is that 
it's an example of a streaming service picking something up that I don't necessarily think is going to be something that is hugely popular everywhere, but it's they've obviously seen the reaction to Neighbours. They've seen, I think, the replay value here. And I think they've, they've thought there's a catalogue we could have that people will dip into randomly, potentially, go back and watch certain episodes, as well as the new stuff. And that nostalgia factor that they... And, and possibly an example of how they, they are... They're aware they don't have a ton of franchises or series that have a real historical traction, like some of the other streamers have, like Disney Plus, say. So is this an example of them trying to find these areas that they will see people come back and dip into, and maybe even subscribe for, you know? I just wonder how active that Neighbours fan base is, because like you said, there obviously is a fan base and there was a lot of... Um, activity around that announcement of the original cancellation mm. but how much of that was people who were still watching the show at all regularly mm. I don't know and how many are going to come back beyond one or two episodes of this new run that's going to come at some point that's just an intangible for me but it must make economic sense for them to be doing this at all so presumably there is um, a substantial enough fan base yeah. to make it warranted I don't know. I just, I just kind of assumed a lot of people were like me who watched Neighbours like 15 years ago <laughs> and remember it fondly, but that's about the extent of it. But maybe mm. not. Maybe you're right. Maybe there are enough people there who'll want to randomly rewatch like um, Kylie and Jason's wedding and yeah. all this kind of stuff. Could you be, know. you know. It's strange, maybe. isn't it? And maybe, it's, maybe it won't cost a ton to make either. Maybe they, it won't be super expensive for them. I think that's true. And they can... You know, if they film it in roughly the same style, which is what would be interesting to see how they do that, you know, however many episodes, etc. Yeah. It's just interesting. Taking a soap, a cancelled soap, and doing it on a streamer. That is a first. And I, as far as I can remember, and it'll be interesting to see if, if ever you get some of these other quite well-known soap operas fade away or account due to budgets and all kinds... On the changing nature of linear terrestrial television, you know, what happens one day if... EastEnders genuinely becomes something that the BBC One can't justify keeping on, what happens to it? Does it go to BBC Three, does it go to iPlayer, or does it get picked up by somebody else? It's a very interesting um, precedent, I think. I think you're right. I think it's more interesting, actually, than I'd realised when you brought it up. The fact that it is sort of migrating to a very different home, in a way. Mm. Yeah, one to keep an eye on, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll be interested to watch the... I've not watched Neighbours in years, but I will watch... (laughs) The new one on Amazon, just to see what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. That's the genius of it. That's maybe why they're doing it, because people will come back and check it out. It's whether you stay tuned for episode two and three, isn't it? That's the, the key. Well, but if Toadie yeah. stops swearing, then yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, we're going to do what we've been watching. I think we're going to yeah. do what we've been watching with a particular emphasis on uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which yeah. you've been to see, Tony. I have. So obviously a big, huge release. I haven't been to see it yet, um, but I've got one or two things I can mention here about how the mm. film's gone down. But yeah, tell us about the experience of watching this film. Then. Well, I mean, obviously the first Black Panther was genuinely one of the high points of Marvel, I think. Certainly this Marvel Cinematic Universe really transformative film before the Avengers big double movies in I think how it tapped into culture and not necessarily the greatest movie ever made I'm not going that far but really quite a powerful experience and the resonate reson, resonance it had and obviously coupled with Chadwick Boseman's death which obviously we talked about we had those couple of episodes we aired the other week this sequel is probably one of the most anticipated sequels 
in franchise cinema for a long, long time, I would say, yeah. in terms of what, what it would be, you know, with all the guesses, all of the, you know, wh who's going to be Black Panther, is that what it's about, you know, all this stuff. So I went into it not really knowing what to expect because it's, it, it was very di it's going to be very different from the Black Panther that we would have had had Bozeman been alive, naturally. So it's a funny film, really. It's, it, it's, it's a mixed bag, I think, in that it's technically, I would venture, on a filmmaking level, probably one of the best films that Marvel have made since the Avengers movies, I think. And particularly Infinity War, which I thought was really good. Do you mean in terms of effects or what? what Just mean, in terms of craft, yeah. and I think in terms of world building, hmm. in that Ryan Coogler is really left to his own devices for the most part. This is very very disconnected from a lot of our, the other Marvel cinematic stuff going on, frankly. There's no, not a mention of the multiverse, there's none of that stuff in this. There's, there's a few little tethers, but nothing... Nothing, nothing major. No, no, nothing I think you could watch this and be confused by necessarily. So I think on that level, it's quite good that they've let him craft something that does have a real reverence for what has been lost in the real world. You know, it has, it's all about grief basically, which is understandable. It's the cast channeling their grief, it's the characters channeling their grief, um, because it's not really a spoiler to say T'Challa is di dead as the film begins, and then it's about what happens subsequently. But what he's done in it, he's crafted, he's, he's crafted a world, not just Wakanda this time, but another world called Talakan, which is, in the comics it would have been Atlantis. It's the world ran by Namor, the Submariner, which is a massive character from Marvel. And he's actually, the, I think, the, the, the star of the film, really. Played by a new guy, newcomer called Tenokweta, probably you know, butchered his name there. But he's excellent as a retooled Namor, who's a really important character, going right back to the very, very, very beginning of, their, of Marvel comics. He's great. The world building in it is, is very good. Some of the performances are excellent. Angela Bassett is marvellous as Queen Ramonda. But <laughs> I think it's messy. I think it structurally doesn't quite know what it wants to be. I think it really does suffer from a, a quite a flat climax. And I think the eggs it puts its basket in are the wrong eggs. And I'm not going to spoil that. Interesting. But, there's a but the character who it kind of focuses on is not a character I think built for the story that this character gets. And I think, I think is that, do you think that's, uh, again, I haven't seen it, but is that a result of the fact they've had to retool it because of Bozeman's yeah. death? Yeah, and I was talking to someone about this in that they, the question was, is it, would it have been massively different had T'Challa been alive and been the character? And I, at first, didn't think, I thought it would be. I thought it might not be the same plot, which is these two civilizations clashing. But actually, when it was broken down, it actually would have worked with T'Challa. It would have been different but it, and it would have been a different tempo and a different style. But um, I think it would have worked better, actually, hmm. because you would have had the heads of two very different nations with ideological positions about their place in the world. And that's essentially what this is. Wakanda and Talakan have very different ideas about what it is to be a civilization with a great deal of history in, a, uh, in parts of the world that have been colonized and butchered by Western imperialists how they then deal with that in a modern world, that's the core of this movie. But it's brewed up very much with this grief, this metatextual grief, that I think sinks the movie a bit and fills it a bit too. There's not, there's very little humour 
compared to the first film that had a real swagger and sexiness and yeah. you know and I were, get what there were Bond influences and things in the definite first Bond film, influences and, that's yeah. not there in this understandably because you haven't got T'Challa mm. and it's it, I think it's a very interesting film but I don't think it's as good as it would have been had things been different and I think I think it was the film they had kind of had to make in a way but I left it thinking I liked some of that but I didn't feel it you know I yeah. didn't I didn't come out of it feeling anything and I think that's where it fell down for me that's interesting I think some of the things you said seem to have been echoed by some of the critics who've reviewed the film so mm. it seems to have had a pretty favorable critical reaction overall mm. 84% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes for people who are interested in that kind of thing for example Wendy Eyed from The Observer said whilst not everything works the emotional core is raw credible and affecting uh, and she praises Angela Bassett uh, as you have done yeah um, she thought Letitia Wright was excellent I'm not sure if she was the character you were talking about who the story wasn't built for but um, would you say she was excellent too I think she was yes and no yeah I don't really want to spoil too much <laughs> but yes and no I think yeah alright uh, Peter Bradshaw at The Guardian said he felt there was a constraint at work an understandable constraint given that the film is to some degree about grief and loss, yeah. but one which Wakanda Forever had not quite found a way of developing and absorbing. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, and Owen Gleiberman from Variety said it was less a typical Marvel movie driven by light and magic effects than an intricately doom-laden and engrossing <laughs> geopolitical thriller. Uh, which sounds interesting and compelling, but you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really have applied the adjective doom-laden to that earlier film, would no. you? No. So it does sound like a very different beast. No, it is. It's very, very different beast. And, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with sequels being different from the first films. You know, we, I think most people would actively encourage that in many ways. Yeah. But this is, this is an, a film of necessity, you know, and, and it's, not, it's not a film of organic, right. you know, I think, development in that way. You know, it, it's a, it's a traumatised movie, really. It's a, it's a movie built on trauma. And, and sadness and, and you really feel that and I, I know they couldn't have done anything else they couldn't have just recast T'Challa or just ignored it you know and, and just done a bright a, a preppy sexy you know black powered movie but in, in this case I think it's meant that let's put it this way I don't think there's any need for any other Black Panther film now after right. watching this I, I think you could absolutely leave it where it is and never see any of it again frankly really? yeah okay. and, I, and I don't think that would have been the case had Chadwick Boseman been alive. They mm. would have built this next iteration of the MCU partly around T'Challa, I yeah. think. So um, I'm sure there will be more of that Panther, <laughs> but I, I left it thinking, just that's it, like, <laughs> done. Like, <laughs> no need for any more. I think it's also quite interesting just to have a quick look at how the film has done commercially. Now, its opening weekend was, was big. It was 330 mm. million worldwide. Uh, 150 million of that figure coming from countries outside the United States. Yeah. Now, as we're sat here uh, on November the 19th, when I checked yesterday, November the 18th, it had made $400 million worldwide wow. going into its second weekend. Um, so big numbers, but it looks as if it's probably not going to hit the level of the first film, which got to 1.4 billion. I was going to say, that was in the billions, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it got yeah. to 1.4 billion. This is looking like it's going to maybe struggle to get to that billion. So yeah. this is the second biggest opening of the year, though. It's a few million behind what Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness did. Oh, wow. Okay. So that got up to 955 million worldwide. Did it really? What, yep. at the end of the... Wow. Yep. Blimey. So it looks like maybe Black Panther, Wakanda Forever is going to 
be somewhere around that. And it, yeah. like I said, it's opened a bit lower than Doctor Strange 2 did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the third biggest pandemic era opening behind that film, mm. behind Doctor Strange and behind Spider-Man No Way Home. So what's your guess about how it will play out in the weeks to come? Because I think a lot of Black Panther, that the first film, that success was due to the fact that people who rarely see a Marvel film um, ended up going to see it. You know, it became a big cultural touchstone, even for people who aren't steeped in the MCU, I think. Um, this one sounds a bit more like one for the hardcore from the way you describe it. Is that right? I, I just wonder if people are going to... You know, I'm not sure there'll be as much repeat viewing, judging by what you've said. I'm not sure there'll be as many casual uh, yeah. observers who aren't big into superhero films who end up going to see it. It's, it's uh, a, it'll still be massive. Like, uh, yeah, it's no. a funny one, because I, I think it's one of those films that I think a lot of people will tell people to go and see, but after you've seen it, you won't really want to re-watch re it, I don't think, unless you're a really devoted Black Panther person. Not like the first film, which has an immense rewatchability. Um, I don't think this is going to be that kind of movie, because it's too... It's too sad, really, and it's too heavy. And I think it will do really well, and it will, based on the strength of all of the stuff around it, um, I, I think it will do well. But it, it, it's it's going to stick out a bit in terms of Marvel, I think, especially as where it's going right now, in that it will... I don't think you'll really get another Marvel film like this, and I don't altogether mean that in terms of praise. I do and I don't. You know, I think, I, I think this is going to be... It's going to be a strange... Not aberration, but strange tonal difference that will... And, you know, it might end up being one that people celebrate for that fact, but... Down the line. Maybe, so. maybe. I um, think the reaction to this will be interesting further, up, further along, actually, when people have digested it. But I don't doubt it will do well. And I don't doubt they will try and find a way to keep the, the characters going. I did notice that a few critics and bloggers and people... They all, uh, there are a few people who seem to be using variations on the phrase... I need to let this film sit with me. <laughs> Which sometimes is not a good sign when people are saying mm. that. Sometimes it means that there's something unsatisfying about it that people haven't quite found a way to articulate. Yeah. Um, and I wonder what that means for word of mouth in the sense that if somebody says to you, I saw such and such a film, I don't quite know what to make of it yet. It doesn't necessarily send yeah. you running to buy a ticket. Um, so I think it'll be an interesting one to see how it does. Mm. Mm. I just don't think it'll have the same kind of legs as that first no. film, because I think that was kind Absolutely of not. lightning in a bottle in yeah. a certain way, wasn't it? 100%, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, I can do a quick what I've been watching this yeah. week. I mean, the honest answer is what I've been watching is The Crown. Because <laughs> we, we <laughs> same, watched same, 10 hours really. of that, as we talked about uh, last time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I have found time to watch the first episode of a new series called The English. Oh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. So this is being broadcast on BBC Two. I think all the episodes are available already mm -hmm. on iPlayer, but it's being broadcast weekly for people who prefer, prefer that model. And I think it may be being broadcast, being shown on Amazon Prime elsewhere, okay. depending on where you are. Mm. I think that's what I heard. Uh, so it's a Western. stars Emily Blunt and an actor, I think I might be getting his name wrong here, but I think it's an, act, a new, an, an actor I wasn't familiar with called, I think his name Chask Spencer or something like that. Something like that. He plays the other lead role. Um, and then there are, there are some other notable actors in it too, like Toby Jones and uh, Kieran Hines, who people might have seen in Kenneth Branagh's film Belfast. Mm. Uh, not too long ago King Beyond the Wall in Game of Thrones yeah <laughs> as well um, among many other things so this is an interesting one because it starts with quite a, a sappy or almost treacly scene that's set after the end of the main action uh, with Emily Blunt sort of narrating and things and it made me think okay maybe we're in for quite a measured stately western here that's a bit more old fashioned in a certain sense and then you go get into the story which is about revenge and mm. all of this 
and actually it's very spaghetti western inflected and it has quite brutal and surprising sometimes violence surprising in terms of who the violence gets uh, visited upon um, and it seems actually to be much more along that line in terms of the kind of western that it is mm. so i think it's shaping up to be an intriguing spin i mean I, I quite like westerns anyway and it seems like an interesting revisionist one so it sort of brings together uh, emily blunt's character who she's kind of a an english lady you know late i can't remember her character's name but she's a you know lady has a title mm. you know she's quite well to do um and then the other the guy he's kind of um he's from the pawnee mm. Native American mm. tribe, and he served in the United States Army, and he thinks now he's entitled to some land. So right. he's kind of, um, you know, they both got their own goals that they're following. I won't say too much in case people want to go and see it because it kind of reveals itself during the course of this first episode. Yeah, uh, he's more of kind of the enigmatic Clint Eastwood sort of man with no name type cool. hero. So it's quite interesting to see a Native American character yeah, yeah. or an indigenous, indigenous American character it's shown in that light. So I'm really looking forward to this and I've spoken to one or two people who've seen the whole thing already and say that it kind of ramps up and gets better and better as mm -hmm. it goes along. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking this is going to be an intriguing one. I think by the next time we sit down to do some discourse recordings, I might well have seen it all and maybe I can sort of talk about how it ends. No, but that's good. Shaping up to be good, yeah. You, you're intending to watch this I, as well? I am. It's on my radar, yeah. Um, it looks really good. I've heard a really good thing. I had a, a, an incredible review, I think, in, in one of the newspapers. They called it a masterpiece, I think. It might be The Guardian. I think they got five stars, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, it's by Hugo Blick and he's a really interesting um, sort of TV filmmaker, really. He, 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 he did things like Marion and Jeff like back in the day, like the, the comedy with Rob Brydon and... Operation Good Guys in the 90s, which was just bizarre, slightly ahead of its time stuff. But then he's gone on to do um, dramas throughout, in very different genres throughout the last 20 years. He's one of those, he's one of those names that's actually, he should be better known than he is, I think, Hugo Blick, as a, as a writer-director. So, um, yeah, I, I'm very, very interested. I'm looking forward to it, yeah. Yeah, no, like I said, I've enjoyed the first episode very much. Like you said, the reviews have been good. Yeah. People I've spoken to have seen it, mm. uh, sing its praises, and we're like, like that thing we we're talking about with word of mouth, people who are kind of yeah. bringing it up unprompted. Have you seen this? And make yeah, sure you yeah, watch it if you yeah. haven't, which is always a good sign. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll, Great we'll stuff. maybe talk more about this at another point. Good plan. But, yeah, I think, well, Tony, you need to get the tube. I do, um, I do. Let's hope there's no strikes. I'm actually staying overnight in London tonight, so I'm a bit easier on time. But, yeah, mm. we're going to wrap up here. We'll be back fairly soon, I think, won't we? We, we you know, we might put that Spectre episode out, like we mentioned, yeah, potentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, fairly soon, and then we'll, we'll be back with new discourse before too long. You know, mm. we're never too far away from a new right. discourse episode, are we? We're, uh, That's true. We're committed to <laughs> releasing as many episodes as we possibly can. Yeah, we're going to talk about the World Cup soon, aren't we? As well, we're going to talk about the World tomorrow. Cup, which I think will be underway, won't it? By the time people yeah, are hearing yeah, yeah. this, yeah. Hopefully England will still be in it by the time people <laughs> are in this. Sure sure Touching wood as I, as I speak. Yeah, we, yeah. Think, we think there's a lot to talk about there in terms of not just the sport, but yeah. all the politics surrounding it and yeah, the yeah, media yeah. coverage of mm. it as well, mm. don't we? So we're going to do that fairly soon. But yeah, we hope you've enjoyed the discourse this week live from London. Listeners, yeah. we might do another live recording at some point down the yeah, line. You know, in hopefully. person recording, let's say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we're going to say goodbye for now. So take care, everybody. And we'll speak to you again soon. Yeah, see you soon, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Hello, and this is Frame to Frame, part of the We Made This Podcast Network. We are a podcast that take two seemingly unconnected films and slam them together with the most obscure theme that we can find. 
I'm Andy Williams. And I'm Sean Wilson. And every Wednesday, you'll be able to find out a little bit more about the different themes and different films that we look into. You can hear moments such as this. Gwyneth Paltrow has as many Oscars as David Cronenberg. That's just wrong in every sense of the word. Um, yeah, but you can't get a candle that smells like David Cronenberg. No, wait, I'm not going to get there. Um, <laughs> no, no, don't, don't do that. I mean, we've we've done nearly ten minutes on why you dislike Zack Snyder, and that was just the first the first person that I mentioned as as a, a, a talented name. In the, the now film. you've got you've got to make get, take us in a positive direction, please. Okay, Jared Butler is the lead of this film. Oh, that's not a good start. That's, that's really not a good start. At all. Keep going. <laughs> I just want to say, Emma, I really I really love your philosophy about no matter how good or bad a movie is, there's a lot of effort that goes into it. I, re- I really like that philosophy because I find myself grappling with that. It's kind of like it's really easy to tear something down because the finished product that comes out in the cinema or on streaming is nominally bad, but it has actually had a fair amount of effort that went into it, regardless exactly. of how that's fans. Be sure to check your podcast app of choice every Wednesday to find new episodes. You'll be able to like, subscribe, and find us on social media at Frame to Frame Pod.